0: The night was thick, and the only light that pierced through the darkness was the flickering flames from our campfire. The calm serenity of the lake mirrored the starry night sky, creating a tranquil ambience that was often sought but seldom found. We were surrounded by the deep woods, the lake stretching out before us. Suddenly, the tranquility was broken by a strange noise from across the lake. It was a distant rustle, an unusual sound that didn't fit the usual nighttime symphony of insects and nocturnal creatures. We hastily fed the fire, coaxing it to grow brighter, illuminating the surrounding landscape with its warm, orange glow. Just as the fire grew stronger, so did the noises. Something was over there, something big. We could hear it crashing through the underbrush, snapping branches and rustling leaves. Then came the rocks and logs, lobbed in our direction with an incredible force, splashing into the lake and thudding around our campsite. The fire cast monstrous shadows that danced and twisted with each explosive splash and thud. And then the screams began. They were unlike anything I had ever heard before. I've spent my entire life in the woods, hunting, exploring, living. I've heard the cries of bobcats, the hoots of owls, the howls of wolves. But this... This was different. It was a guttural, primal sound that resonated through the forest, sending a chill down my spine. The screams and the onslaught of debris continued for a harrowing hour. Each minute was stretched by the adrenaline pumping through our veins, making every second feel like an eternity. But then, just as suddenly as it had begun, everything went silent. The only sound left was the crackling of our fire and our own heavy breathing. We were left in the strange quiet of the night, the echoes of the creature's screams still ringing in our ears. The experience was unnerving, to say the least. Whatever had been out there was clearly powerful, and its cries still haunt me. It was a reminder that even though I've spent a lifetime in these woods, there are still mysteries here that I've yet to uncover. The day after my girlfriend and I saw The Mothman Prophecies in the movie theater, we found ourselves driving up a road situated in the middle of Jefferson City, Missouri. The movie was still fresh in our minds, and we couldn't help but feel a bit on edge. As we made our way up the big hill on Southwest Boulevard, an unexpected event took place. Out of nowhere a bird-like creature that bore an uncanny resemblance to the one from the movie suddenly bounced off my windshield. The impact startled both of us, and I remember thinking that I had never seen anything quite like it before. Right when the creature hit my windshield, my girlfriend cried out, Whoa! The first thing that crossed my mind was how much it reminded me of the bird-like thing from the movie. Just as I was thinking that, my girlfriend said, that looked like the thing in the Mothman prophecies. Though it wasn't the seven-foot humanoid creature with red eyes and wings that the movie depicted, it still left us feeling uneasy. I couldn't bring myself to look back and see what happened to whatever it was that hit the windshield, nor did I have the nerve to stop and investigate. Maybe I was too freaked out, or perhaps I was worried about what I might find. To this day, I still wonder about that peculiar sighting in Jefferson City, Missouri. Whether it was a mere coincidence or something more inexplicable, the experience remains etched in my memory, serving as a reminder that there are still mysteries in this world that defy explanation. I have heard the story of the Quaker man who left Philadelphia to start a new life in the mountains of Pennsylvania. He was a man of strong faith, and after purchasing a large lot in Cook Township, he found employment at the old South Mountain Iron Works. The land was perfect for him, with a stream full of brook trout, plentiful timber, and lots of open space to raise a family. He soon met a young woman and fell deeply in love with her. They were married by the local justice of the peace, despite the fact that she was not of the same religious faith as he was. However, they were happy together, and she soon became pregnant. In the final month of her pregnancy, the young wife began to experience bouts of anger and intense pain. The doctor could not diagnose the cause of her malady and ordered her to complete bed rest. The Quaker had a horrible dream that the devil had come to visit their home while he was at work. He was sure that his wife was possessed by a demonic being and that he needed to purge her of this evil. For ten days straight, he knelt by her bedside, invoking prayers and charms, much to the chagrin of his wife. However, his wife soon became disgusted by the fuss her husband was making. In a fit of rage, she grabbed a small wooden cross and flung it out of the window. She declared that there was no god and that the devil was only a creation of a feeble mind. That very night, the Quaker's wife went into labor... She told in agony for the entire night and into the early morning. A midwife was quickly summoned for the delivery. Soon after daybreak, the child started its way into the world. As the midwife coaxed the new mother to push, it soon became apparent that this child was unlike any she had ever witnessed. The newborn boy resembled a beast, not a human. It was alive and breathing, but did not cry or make any sound. It was gray in color and had more scales than skin. It had a long tail and small horn buds above its pointed ears. There were claws for hands and hooves for feet. It also emitted a foul, lingering stench. This was the embodiment of Mephistopheles. The Quaker was horrified and could not believe that this was his child. He refused to even touch it. The midwife, who had seen many things in her time, was shocked and did not know what to do. The child lived for only a few minutes before passing away. The Quaker's wife died soon after giving birth. The Quaker was left alone with his thoughts and his beliefs. He eventually left the mountains and returned to Philadelphia, where he tried to reconcile his faith with the terrible thing that had happened to him. The story of the Quaker and his wife has been passed down through generations. Some say it was a curse, others say it was a punishment for the wife's blasphemy. But the truth remains a mystery, lost to time and to the mountains of Pennsylvania. Okay, this happened a couple of years ago, before we turned 18 and before uni started so we had a lot of spare time and nowhere to spend it, so my friends, and I would often just walk round our town at night talking about random stuff. On the night in question, it was just me and one friend, and we were just walking without really paying attention to where we were going since we were in pretty deep conversation. We found ourselves walking towards an entrance to a footpath that's behind an estate. There's a fork in the path, and going left will eventually take you to the high street and a train station. Going right will take you to some fields behind a cemetery. We went right, which sounds like a dumb idea, but it made sense at the time because you could get into the cemetery through the fields and then on to the estate where we lived by coming out of the cemetery. Initially, I didn't even want to go down the path in the first place, I'm scared of the dark and generally would rather not walk through a graveyard and a bunch of creepy forest paths at night. My friend reassured me, though, and after all, it was the quickest way home. About five minutes in, the path leads through a small wooded area, and after that there is the gate that opens into the cemetery. It's really dark in this part, except for some distant lights from houses allowing you to see a little bit in front of you. That's when we saw a figure in the distance, walking towards us. From what I could make out, it just looked like one guy, probably a similar age to us because teens would often use this path to get from one estate to the other. I quietly told my friend that, and he agreed. We weren't worried because while there are some bad kids in our area, people don't really give you any trouble when they're on their own. As the person walked closer to us and us to them, I realized it was not a teenager, but a really tall man. Trying to calm myself, I remembered a tall guy I see a lot walking his dog, a big Alsatian. Yes, it must be him. I scanned the area for his dog, but I saw nothing. However, the man was holding something long in his hand. I thought it was a lead for his dog, but it wasn't flexible, and in the dark and in my paranoid state, I thought it looked like the handle of an axe or a spade. My friend, and I hadn't said a word since the man got close, but I just knew he was thinking the exact same thing as me. I didn't want the man to notice that I was staring at him, so I just looked down and walked as fast as I could without running. Thankfully, the gate was right there, and once we got into the cemetery, we felt safe. Once we got out into the open, we started talking about what we saw, and my friend agreed it looked like an axe or really big stick— and said I was expecting to get a blow to the head as soon as we got near him. I babbled a bit, sorry, but I certainly stay away from dark paths now. This just happened a few hours ago. I have called and reported it to the police, and I am home safely, but guess I am still in shock. Could do with putting it down and writing to process it, and figured this is as good a place as any to share what happened. I finished work early today and so decided to go out for a run. I set out around 4.30 and decided my usual routes which cross many roads will not be very practical, and so I took an alternate route along a canal towpath and some pathways through woods that I knew would be less busy. Everything was going well, I was pushing myself steady until I got to a pathway on the way back around 6km into the route. It is a long straight path with a canal on the left side and on their right there is wasteland where some factories used to be but have mostly been demolished. It has been left abandoned for as long as I can remember and is overgrown with trees and weeds but there are the odd bits of an old factory that for some reason weren't fully demolished. As I got level with one part of the factory which still had some old metal fire escape steps attached to it I noticed a rough looking guy sat on the wall with his legs hanging down. He jumped to his feet as he saw me coming and shouted something, but I couldn't make it out. As I came level to where he was I heard him say, Wait there, can you help me find my phone? He said this while he was running down the steps and so I stopped as I got level with where the bottom of the steps was meaning we were standing just a few feet apart but with a fence in between us. It was a really old iron fence with vertical metal bars that have spikes at the top like you sometimes see around churches and things. He asked me if I would help him find his phone again, saying he had dropped it somewhere nearby, and asked if I could ring his number so he could listen for it. I felt I couldn't exactly refuse as my phone was strapped to my arm, so I said he could tell me the number, and I took my phone off my arm and unlocked it. He blurted out a phone number, but said it far too fast, and it didn't begin with 07 which made me start to feel like something wasn't right. Although I was beginning to suspect at this point, I wasn't really worried. I am in pretty good shape, had a big size and weight advantage over him plus there was a fence between us. He didn't seem in very good physical shape and seemed like he might be homeless. I figured if he was trying to mug me for my phone, his only chance would be if he pulled a knife, so I made sure to stay a good distance away from the fence and kept my eye on where his hands were. So I told him I didn't catch any of the numbers because he said it too quickly, and he came out with another number, this time it did have 07 at the beginning. I entered seven numbers, and then he started to look around and saying, I can hear it, come and help me look, as he looked around at the ground. I was about to say that I hadn't even finished dialing when a much larger black guy appeared from behind a section of wall to my right. He was also really scruffy looking, and from the look of his eyes, it seemed like he was on drugs. He came out saying he could hear the phone ringing over towards him and beckoned me to come through a gap in the fence and help look. The white guy then said, It is ringing, yeah and I told him it was even though I still hadn't dialed the last digits, and now I was sure they were trying to lure me to come over to that side of the fence. After two or three times of them both beckoning me to come and help, always insisting they could hear the ring, I heard the black guy say, he's not going to fall for it. He said it in a hushed way as if he thought I wouldn't hear, but with it being out in the middle of nowhere, I could clearly understand what he said. The white guy then started acting quite aggressive and punched a tree telling me he needed the phone badly and how his whole life was on the phone telling me to come and help them look for it. While he was punching the tree and ranting the black guy had taken a few steps away to the right meaning, I couldn't keep my eyes on both at the same time. It was after 5pm by this point and had gotten dark all of a sudden which made the whole thing even more unsettling. I noticed there was a gap in the fence where some of the bars had been removed right where the black guy was heading, and I decided at that point to get the hell out of there and made a run for it. Neither of them said anything as I ran away, which makes me sure that they had malicious intentions. If they genuinely lost their phone and needed help, I would expect them to shout, ''Where are you going?'' or something to try and get me to come back, but they didn't shout anything. After sprinting for a good 20-30 seconds, I turned to see if they were chasing me. They were both stood on the path around where the gap in the fence had been, but were not chasing me. They were just standing there watching me run away. I continued running away, but kept looking back every few seconds until I was out of sight. It was at this point I got off the canal path and onto the roads. The person I spoke to on the phone to report it took my details and the descriptions but seemed to think it wasn't anything worth worrying about, but said it will be investigated. The whole incident has left me a bit unnerved, and I am pretty sure I won't be jogging that route alone any time soon. Sir, my name is Megan. I am forwarding a summary of an experience that I and a friend had in August 2010. My friend and associate Kyra and I traveled from Columbus, Ohio to Ravenswood, West Virginia on business. While we were there, I wanted to make a side trip to Gallipolis, Ohio to visit relatives I had not seen for quite a while. After our meeting and presentation, we drove onto Ohio Route 7 and traveled south along the Ohio River towards Gallipolis. We had a nice, though brief, visit with my relatives. Around 6 p.m., we left their home and drove a few miles north on Route seven to check into a hotel near the local airport. Around 7.30 p.m., we decided to get dinner and found a quiet restaurant so we could eat and work. After we finished, Kyra needed to go to the store and pick up a few items that she forgot to pack. We headed to a Walmart that was nearby the restaurant. After we finished shopping, We were walking to the car when I noticed a woman running through the parking lot. When she reached her car, she looked back in the direction of the store and then hurriedly got into the car. I quickly looked in the same direction and saw what looked like a large bird flying above the roof of the store. It was difficult to see, but when it swooped downward, the parking lot lights would shine off of it. It looked like it was either oily or had shiny leather-like skin. Whatever it was, it had a wide wingspan. I would guess it reached 8-10 feet across. It circled above the store for about a minute, then just disappeared. We were both somewhat shocked at what we witnessed, but figured that it was just a huge bird. Since it was dark, I figured we had misjudged what it really was. We drove back to the hotel and decided to call it a night so we could get an early start on the drive home in the morning. I got ready for bed, but thought I'd watch some television first. By this time, it was around 10 p.m. or so. I must have dozed off fairly quickly because the next thing I remember is frantic knocking on my door. I stumbled out of bed and checked who it was. It was Kyra, and she was obviously upset. She rushed into my room and said, It's here. What are you talking about? A little bit perturbed that she woke me up. She said that she was laying on the bed reading when she heard something in the hallway. She got out of bed, walked to the door, and listened to what she thought were scratching sounds. After a few minutes, the sound stopped, so she went back to bed. Not long after she lay down, she heard more scratching sounds, but from outside her window. Again, she got up and peeked through the curtains. This time, something looked back at her. Our rooms were on the second floor in the back section of the hotel, and both looked out onto a small parking lot and a large field beyond that. She could see what she described as a bald, ugly man with wings, who was looking directly at her with large, bulging eyes that lit up bright red. It was there for only a few seconds. It then spread its wings while running at the same time toward the end of the parking lot and lifted off the ground like a bird. You're kidding, right? I muttered to her. Meg, I swear to God that thing is out there, and it knows we saw it. I knew the only way I was going to get some sleep was to allow Kyra to stay in my room. The next morning, we woke early, checked out, and drove back to Columbus. Kyra didn't mention the incident from the previous night during the ride. In fact, she has still never said anything else about it. We continue to be good friends and have a very good working relationship. But I got curious. I had never heard about the Mothman or any of the tales associated with it. I grew up in Texas and had only lived in Ohio for a few years. I moved into my mom's house after she had passed away. Her relatives lived throughout Ohio, but I had never been told any of the stories. This is the reason I am writing to you. We were near Point Pleasant, WV, when we had this encounter. Do you think that it is possible that this was a Mothman? I read some of your posts recently, and I'm starting to believe that Kyra actually saw something supernatural. In light of the prophecies of danger that this thing is supposed to warn people about, Kyra has had some bad luck and tragedy since that day. Her husband suddenly left her, she had a fire in her house, and she severely injured her leg in a fall. Could this be connected? I personally don't believe in predictions, either good or bad. But I will admit that these have been strange times since we witnessed whatever. I have been visited by otherworldly beings since 1974. I've had missing time many times over the past 48 years and have been abducted countless times. I did have one experience in 1999 that I had reoccurring dreams, a night that happened at my home in northern Wisconsin. I remember being taken from my bed, being led into my living room. I remember seeing things around me. I was shown a young girl, 12 years old or so. I remember knowing that I was the child's father. I remember being so angry that I was used over years to create this abomination. I had, For as long as I can remember, maybe 25 years, kept a gun in my bed under my pillow. I had it in my hand. I remember being so angry that I was able to pull free, and I shot and killed the girl. I am a law enforcement officer. Since that day, I put it away, and I have trouble handling it. After shooting the girl, I remember being punished. I have had lumps in my arms that hurt and remain today. Each time that they come... They find different ways to make me suffer. All this time I hesitate to tell anyone else about any of my sightings, but I did report my story to MUFON. They called me and made me feel like a criminal. So last year around November-September, I was driving home late at night 2 or 3 a.m. from my buddy who lived on the other side of the city with my bike. I was stoned as F when I was leaving me and my buddy smoked a lot that evening. I had two routes in my head that time that get me home. One was 13 kilometers long trough of forest. The other was a much longer route trough the city around the forest. For info I live in Hanover, Germany the city is pretty much built around these big forests. I decided to go for the forest route which was already a bad choice since I didn't have any lights on my mountain bike and the forest is very dark at night. But I've been driving this route often since the other route is just waste of time. It was an easy decision foe me back then since I'm a two meters tall male and was armed with a knife. So I'm rolling into the forest and my route trough was this asphalted track for inline skaters and bikers. It goes all the way trough. I'm pulling out my cell phone to activate the camera light since this was my only light source. I had and realized I forgot to charge the phone at my buddy's house. So my phone has this option when it's below 5% battery level. You can only activate the camera light for a few seconds. Till it turns off automatically and you need to turn it on again. Needless to say it was quite stressful to drive like that. Always the light turning on and off. It rained that night too, but not much. More like foggy fine rain. I don't know what it's called in English, but we call it in German, Niesel. cause of that, I only could see what was close in front of me, like 10 or 15 meters view only. Three, four kilometers in, the track takes a sharp curve. After I was taking it, I would see a white figure standing next to the road. It was dark as f-late, and im-literally in the middle of the forest. I was thinking about returning but I decided in a matter of seconds to keep going since I had a lot speed on. I was rushing trough the forest. When I spotted the figure I couldn't see much since I was like 20 meter away, but in seconds when I came closer I could see that it was a man in white jacket, just standing there in darkness. Like I said my phone was keep putting out the light, so I would have seen it if he had a light when my phone's light was off so I'm going full speed towards that creepy guy standing next to the road. I was about five meter now from him, and he was just standing there motionless, like not even turning his head. Light goes out. Four meter now. Three. Two. I put the light back on and bypass him. I see him in the face. He was the most unhygienic-looking man I've ever seen. Full nasty beard like a homeless guy just staring at the track. It was this moment I would feel a heavy rumble under my tires. I almost crashed. The track where the man stood was full off sticks and branches, like a barricade. I think my mountain bike tires were saving my ass that day. Needless to say, I have bike lights now and don't take that route at night anymore. It was December 2000, and the winter chill had settled in. I lived in a small town called Molalla, located southeast of Oregon. The snowy hills off Hunter Road were a popular spot for hiking and exploring, and I had decided to venture out that day to enjoy the tranquility of nature. I had always been fascinated by the mysterious stories of Bigfoot, but never truly believed in its existence. Little did I know that my perspective would change drastically during that fateful hike. As I trudged through the soft snow, Enjoying the crisp air and the crunch of snow beneath my boots, I stumbled upon something that would change my life forever. I found a set of tracks unlike any I had ever seen before. There were a dozen of them, each measuring 14 inches in length, with an astonishing stride of five and a half feet. The elevation of the area was about 1,500 feet, and the remoteness of the location added to the eeriness of the discovery. I couldn't believe my eyes. The tracks were clearly not human, nor did they resemble any known animal in the area. My heart raced as I considered the possibility that these tracks could belong to the elusive Bigfoot. I decided to follow the tracks, curious to see where they would lead. As I continued on, I couldn't help but feel a growing sense of unease. I was acutely aware of the eerie silence around me punctuated only by the crunch of my footsteps and the occasional rustle of a bird or squirrel in the trees. Despite my apprehension, I pressed on, driven by a burning curiosity. The tracks led me deeper into the hills, and I began to wonder if I was on the verge of making a groundbreaking discovery. Suddenly, the tracks stopped at the edge of a small clearing. I scanned the area, searching for any sign of the creature that had left the tracks but there was nothing. No broken branches, no tufts of fur, no lingering scent. It was as if the creature had simply vanished. Disappointed and feeling a mix of fear and fascination, I decided it was time to head back. I retraced my steps, making sure to take photos of the tracks as proof of my encounter. When I returned to town, I shared my story with friends and family. Some were skeptical while others excitedly shared their own theories and stories about the legendary creature. As for me, I couldn't shake the feeling that I had come incredibly close to uncovering the truth about Bigfoot. That day in December 2000 marked the beginning of my obsession with the mysterious creature. Since then, I've dedicated my life to searching for evidence and learning all I can about Bigfoot. And though I've never come as close to the creature as I did that day, The memory of those tracks in the hills off Hunter Road continues to fuel my determination to uncover the truth. As I stared at the lifeless body of my best friend, I knew I couldn't let this go on any longer. The once peaceful town we called home had become a place of fear and nightmares, the forests surrounding it now inhabited by deadly, unknown creatures. We had come together as a group of hunters, determined to protect our town and families from the mysterious predators responsible for the gruesome animal attacks that had plagued our community for months. We had entered the forest, weapons in hand, prepared to face whatever horrors awaited us. But we were not ready for the cunning intelligence and ferocity of the creatures that hunted us. They picked us off one by one, their stealth and speed unmatched by any predator we had ever encountered. I was the last survivor, my friends and fellow hunters, now nothing more than memories and fallen comrades. Desperate and terrified, I stumbled deeper into the forest, hoping to find a way to stop these relentless monsters. That's when I discovered it an ancient relic, hidden away in a dark, forgotten cavern. Its mysterious power seemed to resonate with the creatures, hinting at the possibility of controlling them. With newfound determination, I began to study the relic, learning its secrets and unlocking its potential. As I deciphered its ancient symbols and harnessed its power, I devised a plan to turn the creatures against one another, using their own instincts and abilities to defeat them. With the relic in hand, I ventured back into the heart of the forest, seeking out the lair of the predators. When I found them, I used the relic's power to emit high-frequency sound waves, carefully tuned to a frequency that specifically affected their hearing, leaving the other forest animals unharmed. The creatures, disoriented and incapacitated by the sound, began to turn on one another, their pack mentality shattered by the unbearable noise. As the predators fought amongst themselves, I watched from a safe distance, the power of the relic protecting me from their wrath. The once fearsome creatures were now vulnerable and confused, their reign of terror coming to an end. With the last of the creatures defeated, I returned to the town, battered and bruised but alive. I carried with me the relic, a testament to the power it held and the lives it had saved. The nightmare was over, and our small town could finally begin to heal from the horror that had gripped it for so long. In the end, the ancient relic and the knowledge of the high-frequency sound waves had been the key to our salvation— allowing me to overcome the deadly predators and protect the home and people I held dear. I didn't personally witness any of the sightings, but I heard about them from the police reports. Officer Linda Seabrook saw a creature that looked gargoyle-like while driving home from work on the Garden State Parkway around 7.04 p.m. She couldn't believe what she was seeing, but was sure of the dark reddish skin and scaly reptilian wings of the creature. Another police officer, Scott Kimball, had a sighting of a gargoyle-like reptilian on Route 33 near Union at approximately 4.35 a.m. He saw a creature nearly six feet tall with scaly wings protruding from its back. The creature had larger than normal eyes and canine teeth. Officer Kimball saw the creature land briefly on an abandoned building, and was able to make out its approximately 5 foot long tail. Police dispatch also received calls about sightings of a gargoyle-like creature in Cherry Hill Township at around 8:43 p.m. Witnesses reported seeing a creature nearly 7 feet tall with large bat-like wings behind its shoulders. The wingspan was estimated to be around 13 feet across. There were also reports of strange flying reptilian creatures in Pensakin Township at around 3.17 a.m. Multiple witnesses called the PD to report creatures with red glowing eyes, large wings, and massive black talons. While I haven't seen any of these creatures myself, the reports are certainly intriguing. I've always loved exploring the great outdoors and one of my favorite pastimes is hiking the trails in the Mount Hood National Forest. The vast expanse of wilderness, filled with towering trees and hidden mysteries, calls to me like a siren song. One crisp autumn day, I set out on a solo hike down Old Cat Road, a trail that meanders through a replanted area of the forest near Colton. As I walked along the path, my senses were filled with the sights, sounds, and smells of the forest. The rustle of leaves beneath my feet, the chirping of birds high above, and the earthy scent of damp soil filled the air. The beauty of the forest never failed to take my breath away. It was then that I stumbled upon something that would change the course of my hike and spark a deep curiosity within me. As I rounded a bend in the trail, I noticed a set of tracks leading out of the replanted area onto the road. The tracks were unlike any I had seen before, large deep impressions with distinct claw marks. Curiosity peaked, I decided to follow the tracks to see where they led. They continued along the road for a short distance before disappearing back into the trees. I hesitated for a moment, unsure if I should venture off the trail, but my curiosity won out. I stepped off the path and followed the tracks into the dense forest. The underbrush grew thicker as I pushed deeper into the trees and the tracks became more challenging to follow. Still, I pressed on, determined to uncover the mystery of these unusual tracks. As I continued my pursuit, the forest seemed to close in around me, the shadows growing darker and more oppressive. Finally, after what felt like hours of searching, I found the source of the tracks. In a small clearing, I came face to face with a creature unlike anything I had ever seen. It was massive, standing at least eight feet tall, with dark, shaggy fur and piercing, intelligent eyes. I realized, with a mixture of awe and terror, that I had discovered a cryptid, a creature of legend. The beast regarded me with curiosity, as if it were just as surprised to see me as I was to see it. We stood there for a moment, locked in a silent standoff, before the creature turned and disappeared back into the forest, leaving me alone in the clearing. As I made my way back to the trail, my mind raced with questions. What was this creature? How had it managed to remain hidden for so long? And most importantly, what would I do with this incredible discovery? From that day forward, my life was forever changed. The encounter in the forest fueled a lifelong passion for cryptozoology and a quest to unravel the mysteries of the unknown. The memory of that fateful day in the Mount Hood National Forest continues to inspire me as I journey through the world of cryptids, searching for answers and unlocking the secrets of the wild. As a National Guard agent, I've seen my fair share of crises, but nothing, nothing could have prepared me for this. Our orders were clear, secure the classified government facility. Ensure no information leaks. Standard protocol for a security breach. Or so we thought. We arrived at the facility in Colorado, a nondescript concrete block hidden in the heart of the desert, under the cover of darkness. The main gate was busted open. Inside, it looked like a war zone. The place was ransacked, claw marks etched into the steel walls, blood splatters staining the white tile floors. But there was no sign of the perpetrators. No sign of life at all. As we delved deeper, we stumbled upon something straight out of a horror movie. The facility wasn't just a data center, it was a lab. A lab filled with cages, and in those cages we found the unthinkable. There were creatures, grotesque, monstrous hybrids of humans and animals. Some were dead, victims of the breakout. But many cages were empty. They'd escaped. We soon learned what these creatures were, chimeras, born of illegal genetic experiments. Unholy fusions of man and beast, they were unlike anything we'd ever seen. They were intelligent, strong, and deadly. They were the security breach we were here to contain. The hunt was on. We tracked the chimeras through the sprawling facility, each encounter more deadly than the last. These creatures were not mindless beasts. They used their human intelligence combined with their animalistic abilities to evade and attack us. They were the perfect soldiers, and we were their prey. Meanwhile, we began to uncover the truth. We found documents, reports, and video logs detailing the creation of these chimeras. This was a government-sanctioned project funded by taxpayers hidden from the public eye. The goal was to create a new kind of soldier one with enhanced strength, speed, and resilience. Each document we discovered was more disturbing than the last. They had been playing God, and now we were paying the price. We fought the Chimeras day and night, using every ounce of our training to outsmart and outmaneuver them. Each encounter left us more drained and desperate, but we couldn't let these creatures escape into the outside world. In the midst of this chaos, we found allies in unexpected places. Some of the facility's staff had survived the breakout. They were as horrified by the project as we were, and they helped us understand the Chimeras better. Their insights proved invaluable in our fight. We finally cornered the last of the Chimeras in the heart of the facility. It was the most human of them all, a chilling testament to the extent of the experiments conducted here. It fought savagely, but in the end, we managed to subdue it. Once the facility was secure, we had to confront the reality of what we'd uncovered. The conspiracy ran deep, reaching into the highest echelons of power. Our superiors demanded silence, but we couldn't let this atrocity be swept under the rug. August 1994. The month, year, and the memory are permanently etched into my mind. I'm Becky Katz, just an ordinary bookshop customer from Astoria, Oregon. That day, my son and I had decided to take a break from the city noise and spend the day collecting mushrooms near the fish hatchery by Blind Slough, 18 miles away from Astoria off the Columbia River. We had been at it since early morning, and it was around 8.30 a.m. when it happened, The morning mist was still lingering around the trees, the air crisp and clean. As we carefully navigated through the undergrowth, a sudden rustle caught our attention. We turned towards the noise, and that's when we saw it. It was a figure, grey-brown, and larger than any man I'd ever seen. Its body was covered in thick, matted fur, and it had an unmistakable wildness about it. It looked somewhat like a bearded hunter, But its size and stature were far from human. I remember the moment our eyes met. It was only a split second, but it felt like an eternity. There was a look of surprise, maybe even fear, in its eyes. And then, just as suddenly as it had appeared, it turned and ran away, disappearing into the dense forest. My son and I were frozen in place, shock and fear rendering us motionless. When we finally came to our senses, We ran in the opposite direction, not stopping until we had reached the safety of our car. As we drove back home, we kept replaying the incident over and over in our heads. We were both trying to make sense of what we had seen. After some discussion, we arrived at the only possible explanation that made sense we had seen Bigfoot. I still remember the feeling of disbelief, the adrenaline rush, and the fear. But more than that, I remember the sense of awe and wonder. We had witnessed something extraordinary that day, something few people get to see in their lifetimes. Since that day, our mushroom-collecting trips have been filled with a sense of anticipation and excitement. We never saw the creature again, but the memory of that day remains as vivid as ever. It was a reminder that there are still mysteries in this world, waiting to be discovered and sometimes those mysteries find you when you least expect them. I, Officer Lamich, reported a terrifying sighting of what I believe to be the legendary Mothman. My sighting occurred on highway in Wyoming. Suddenly, in front of me, right above a slow-moving car, was the figure of a man with his wings folded in across his back. The wings appeared to be leathery in texture, like a bat's, and were even pointed on the ends. A sort of sting protruded from the creature's beltline. I stopped my car and tried to get out when I saw the creature taking off in flight at an incredible speed. I would describe it as follows. It stood between six and seven feet tall, had a wingspan over fourteen feet wide from tip to tip, and large glowing red eyes. It flew at an angle towards the east. It made no noise other than a whooshing sound like air through its wings. It had claws on its feet and something on its back looking like two cylinders. I reported my sighting to the local PD where I was laughed at, ridiculed, and finally forced into early retirement for psychological reasons. I was told that if I reported another sighting of this kind, I would be brought up on charges of mental instability It's interesting to note that I am extremely well-respected within the community. I'm an upstanding member of society with no history of family or personal mental illness or alcoholism. I am very much a regular guy with a wife and kids. This has been one hard creature to research due to the reluctance of people involved in the case that are willing to talk about it. I immediately went and checked the area where I think I initially came across something which was just a short distance away. The road on which I saw it circles around comes back up on the top of itself in an oval-like shape, with gravel roads going out in different areas of the farm. We were not able to find anything, but even my son said he thinks he saw something by one of those houses. It's no longer there, but maybe even a garden plot that had been abandoned long ago. The land has been farmed for probably decades now before being converted into pasture land. The entire sighting lasted approximately three seconds from me seeing it while driving until it was fully gone. Since the sight was airborne from my recollection, it was extremely large, stood right next to a tree. I saw a shine, and the eyes were large as well, with what appeared to be claws on its feet. The creature had long hair or fur all over it. Most of it was covered by something that I said appeared like a cape or wings, even covering most of its body lengths. I couldn't tell if they were webbed, but they were definitely something attached to it, which we may have thought. I am 100% positive I saw this, and am actually very shaken up about it since I clearly have no explanation for it. My car stopped working immediately after the sighting, so I believe there's some sort of electrical interference occurring at the time. I believe it stood about seven foot tall, dark in color, wings folded across its back, and extended like a stingray. My car stopped working after it took off into the air at an angle towards the eastern direction, but due to the electrical interference with my radio, which was turned off at the time of the sighting, which is also noted with other Mothman encounters, we were not able to find any evidence of anything but we both believe I saw something and would like to help finding what I saw. I have two stories. First was about 1997, opening weekend deer season Central California. I was sitting in camp after setting up the Thursday before the opener, had a campfire going. This was base camp for the whole season, so we set up everything. Sitting by the fire just BSing with my cousin, when three lights started making their way up the hill, about eight feet off the ground, I thought they were possibly fireflies none. This side of the Sierras, or maybe sparks floating from another fire. As they got closer I realized they were about baseball sized and pretty consistently bright. They made their way up the side of the mountain, watched them for a good four to five minutes, they didn't fade. Just went over the hill out of sight. No drugs or alcohol involved, just some bright lights and weird feelings all weekend. Like being watched. Second was probably no more than three miles from the first place, opening weekend again, but this was about four years ago. Moving along the edge of a meadow, my 14-year-old nephew with me for his first archery deer hunt. I have bear tag as well. He points and whispers, bear... I see it about 100 yards, pulling a log apart looking for grubs, wind in my favor, so I start stalking. Got to about 60 yards, pull the rangefinder, start putting it away and the wind swirled. I feel it on the back of my neck. The bear stands up on two legs. Not a bear, whatever it was, was about seven feet, covered in black hair, half turned to me and walked away. On two legs, silently. Not super surprised by that, it was on a bed of pine needles. Was shooting light, but dark in the meadow. Wasn't a bear, and it was big.